On today's show, we discuss how pop culture and research impact how Muslims understand themselves and how everyone else understands Muslims. Plus, we sit down with Bashir Muhammad of the Pew Research Center. Stay tuned. This is Ikhlas. And this is Mecca. You're listening to Identity Politics, a podcast on race, gender, and Muslims in America. Mecca, tell the people where they can find us. You can find us wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Acast. You can also find us online at identitypoliticspod.com, on Twitter at identitypolpod, and on facebook.com slash identitypolitics. And remember, if you like what you hear, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcast. Hey, Mecca. Hey, Klaus. Okay, so I'm going to ask you something really random. Okay, I'm getting ready. Okay, so it's, I mean, it's not super random. It's relevant to this episode, but do you remember the first time that you realized that the outside world knew Muslims existed? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this is only a question that two people who like went to Islamic schools and like grew up around like other Muslims can really explore. That's so true. <laughs> because the other people are like, um, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, when I went to kindergarten, that yeah. was very clear. It was very clear. <laughs> um. So I was honestly like kind of a late bloomer in this regard. So there's there's two stories that I remember. One that's kind of sad and one that's mm-hmm. less so. So okay. one was actually like on September 11th, 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I went home and like was watching the news and just like saw people like using Arabic words and then like the newspaper just like had all of these Arabic words mm-hmm. and things that I had heard and knew. And I was just like, how do they know like Sunni and Shia and like you know like they're saying all of these things like I was just like this is I feel so like exposed but also like this isn't me like this is familiar but I don't know how to feel about this so that was really stressful that was in eighth grade because it's like who are these Muslims that they're talking about yeah exactly (laughs) and then in ninth grade I was in world history class and we had like a chapter on like world religions mm-hmm. and then we got to like the middle east and they were like it was in history and they were talking about like oh in this year like uh, a man named muhammad was born and like he founded islam and like all of these things but it, mm-hmm. they talked about it in a way that was just like you know like you talk about anybody in history <laughs> that was like significant and i yeah. remember just being like yo like what like i i don't know i thought i think i until that point sort of regarded religious history as almost like like folklore you know Mm, like stories that were like metaphors i don't think i had ever internalized that like no these were real people like historical (laughs) like a historical moment like exactly yeah like real people that like white people think exist um because my <laughs> history teacher was white and he was just like yeah this was a historical figure yeah. and like, he had a huge cultural impact on the world right. so anyway those are like two distinct memories it's really embarrassing because i was a teen in both settings but you know hashtag islamic school life okay and also like just growing up in a community where your neighbors are like also muslim yeah you don't have to <laughs> yeah. think about it exactly exactly i you know it's funny i think for me it's it's a weird thing because, 
you know, we talked about this on a previous episode. I think when we had Monet and Bafa on, like talking about our college days, where it's like when you interact with other Black people, <laughs> mm-hmm. where it's like they know you're Muslim, but it's not like a thing. So I did like a lot of things outside of my school, like primarily was an, I was in an orchestra or Sinfonia. Mm-hmm. And mock <laughs> like, trial, don't forget. <laughs> yeah, but the Sinfonia was just like with other Black people in mm-hmm. Atlanta. And so it's like they knew I was Muslim, but it's, you know, Black Trumps being Muslim. <laughs> yeah. Where it's like, it's not a big deal. It's like, okay, cool. Like, yeah, you wear your scarf sometimes. Okay, cool. You got to pray. But like, not a topic of conversation. But I think really same as you, you know, 9-11 happened where it was like my exposure to like, <laughs> for lack of better words, just like non-Muslims mm-hmm. and like non like like white people. <laughs> yeah. And so I started doing this interfaith program where we had to interact with um Christians and Jews. I like that you said you had to interact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like it was a thing where you had to, where it was, you know, there were certain people that were selected for the program, you know, and I was one of the people selected for the program. And, you know, in the moment, I thought it was like a cool thing. It was like, okay, cool. I get to talk about my faith. And like, we all get to learn about each other's faith. Sorry. Like, I shouldn't say it like that. (laughs) People have heard our interfaith episode. I think they know how we feel about this. Yeah. (laughs) And like, in hindsight, I remember having this distinct moment where I was um I actually was giving this speech at like the anti-defamation league wow okay and it was in this moment where I was like it's such a weird thing to have the world recognize you like as Muslim particularly in this interfaith setting and then come to realize that you are being used for your Muslimness. (laughs) Yeah. And I will never forget like leaving that place and being like, I will never come back here. And, you know, just really thinking about how I exist as a Muslim in the world and what you're being used to do. What did you um, feel like you were being used to do in that moment? Um, So as I grew older, I was like, oh, like I was definitely at like a pro-Israel like dinner and mm-hmm. they wanted like Muslim support for occupation. And I was like, that's a weird thing for me to have been at. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think in that context, that's what I was u- being used for. And right to be shown as like the model Muslim, like yeah. this is what we want our Muslims to be like in America, you know, very mild mannered, not strong opinions, um, ones who are willing to work with others. <laughs> right. I feel like it sounds like, uh, like a job applicant that you would want <laughs> works well with others. <laughs> doesn't like, you know, get too loud, doesn't get too rowdy, doesn't stir up anything. Right. Just very like neutral. Oh, um, totally. This reminds me of Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib's like tweet um, after mm. sort of the Ilhan Omar controversy where she said they put us in photos when they want to show that our party is diverse. However, when we ask to be at the table, speak up about issues that impact who we are, mm-hmm. what we fight for and why we ran in the first place, we were ignored. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's it spot on. We want you to be there, but not really be there. <laughs> exactly. Like your face yeah. is cool because we can say we're diverse, but like don't actually disagree with us. I know. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. So that was my exposure. It, I think it's, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that we both had these like 9-11 moments. I feel like most people our age would also have the same experience, right? Even if you did go to a public school, you know, or yeah. grew up in a diverse community, it's like that reality of like, oh, snap. Like now yeah. everyone's looking at me as the Muslim. Totally. Sometimes I wonder, play a dangerous game, but like if 9-11 never happened, like, of course, like globally what the impact would be, but also yeah. just like personally, what kind of teen would I have been? Oh, <laughs> because I would have so focused like less on just like being the Muslim and like yeah. probably more on other things. Yeah. Oh um, my gosh. Wow. I never thought about that. Yeah, man. Because I'm also wondering, like, we came of age in a time where we were kind of forced to speak a lot about being Muslim Mm -hmm. um, while we were still figuring that out for ourselves, like what that was. And so where do you think like people go to learn about who Muslims are and what they're like? And I mean, all people like Muslims included, because, (laughs) yeah, like I've been thinking about that. Like, where did I actually learn about myself? Now, obviously, I went to Islamic school and that's like a religious education but in mm-hmm. terms of like what Muslims, like what the entire community is oh. like. Yeah. I've been, do you have any thoughts on that? Oh my gosh. That's a really good question. Cause, oh, this is tough. I'm like trying to think about, I guess, I mean, I went to like books, I guess, you mm-hmm. know, um, just like by a different. Mashallah. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> So a young scholar. <laughs> no, no. You know, my mom used to force me to like go to the library and stuff. And I had to do like book reports every week. Yeah, same. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I'm trying to think like just my understanding. When you say that, I'm like thinking about the Ummah as a whole. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I really thought about that until like college because, you know, we talked about this before too, where my assumption was just that like, oh, okay. Arabs, like South Asians are like racist and like, yeah, we're all Muslim, but like, we don't really kick it like that. And that's fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like you do your thing. I'll do mine. There's no drama. <laughs> no drama. Like, you know, like I'm not even mad. Like, it, you know, it just it is what it is. <laughs> and then, you know, in college, I was like, oh, okay. Like the Uma is a lot bigger. It's a lot more diverse. <laughs> it's a thing. <laughs> yeah, it's a thing. And so I just like enter, I think my my knowledge came from just interacting mm. with other Muslims um, is where I learned a lot. But I'm thinking if you're not Muslim, where you're learning it, I mean, honestly, if we're still thinking about 9-11 context, you're learning a lot about Muslims like from the news. Oh um, like the worst source to learn. Yeah, the worst source. <laughs> yeah, like... I'm, you're learning, right, as we're, like, in Afghanistan, as we're in Iraq, like, everything rolling out is this very depiction of Muslims, you know, as being hyper-conservative extremists. Yeah. Um, and, like, yeah. even, not even thinking of global news, it's like, if you ever watch local news, mm-hmm. you would literally think every city is just, like, kidnappings robberies and murders like that's just like what the news covers is like the most horrible extreme circumstances but i could never like imagine like going to atlanta and turning on local news and being like this is what atlanta is like like you know like it is this is it you know there's nothing more to know 
But I do feel like that's come out with uh, the way, like, especially minority populations are represented in the news. And I don't even think it's conscious. It's just like over mm-hmm. time, if all you see is black men robbing a 7-Eleven, then you're just yeah. like, black men rob 7-Eleven. That's, that's like what the they, do. That they do. Yeah. <laughs> so terrible. What about you? Do you feel the same? Or like, do you think there are other sources? Yeah, I definitely feel like actually interacting like with other Muslims was a big thing. I've talked about the Holocaust circuit that I did in DC mm-hmm. after graduation and just like really understanding what young Muslims of diverse backgrounds were experiencing and going through and the, and the types of communities they were trying to create. That was super helpful. But I will say, yeah, like you said, from the outside community, I feel like the news is a big source when I talk to other people and, and understand what their questions are. And then more recently, definitely pop culture television, Mm -hmm. film, music. Mm -hmm. You know, we had Suad on here talking about Islam and hip hop and just all of the references in there. Um, And so I feel like that has also been a huge source of just like cultural references. You know, I have like white people saying inshallah to me and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) I should clarify white people that aren't Muslim because obviously they're white Muslims. Um, So, yeah, I feel like pop culture, um, especially in recent years, like we've had a boom of Muslim comedians, actors, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and then slash activists. Like I think we've had a lot more Muslim artists that are also leveraging their Muslimness and using this moment as an opportunity to like make a statement about like who they are and and what they believe in. Yeah, I'm so happy you brought up like Dr. Saad too, when we had her on the show, because I think when we had that, when we had that conversation with her, and we're talking about you know, being Muslim and hip hop and the Islamic influence, where that was happening a while ago, right? Like 80s, but it was happening in a very subculture way, right? Like Mm -hmm. just primarily among Black Americans. And now the pop culture, like surgeon, like the pop culture that we see now um, with Muslims is more just like broad audience, right? Like for for American, like entire American consumption. I also do want to talk about like the trends in that though. Cause I remember mm-hmm. years ago, like Dave Chappelle was asked about like being Muslim and he was mm-hmm. kind of like, look, like I'm Muslim and that's like a personal thing that I practice and I'm not trying to like represent Muslims. I'm not mm-hmm. trying to like play that game. Like, so when I'm out here doing my comedy, like that's what I'm talking about. Right. And I was like, respect, like, you know, you're lame. You're like, I'm not a scholar, you know, like whatever. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I've also seen videos of him actually explaining like different things about Islam to other people. So it's very mm-hmm. clear that that's a big part of his life. So I've noticed like some of the trends and I know I'm going to get in trouble about this because I got Ooh. in trouble about it on Twitter and had to oh, put my account on private because everyone came out to yell at me about it but i do feel like can we just pause at that moment because i texted you like that night and i was like are you like a celebrity like oh my god (laughs) and i was like have you gone like viral like three times this week (laughs) yeah i don't know what's happening on the internet but everything i throw up blow up and (laughs) (laughs) mashallah i know but honestly you can have it like i don't want it because I don't like throw that I, to me. That you to can have it. I don't like talking to strangers and I definitely don't like strangers talking to me. And apparently just a pro tip, if you put the word Islamophobia in your tweet, 
like the robots will find you, the Islamophobes will find you, oh um, and also people who just have a lot of opinions will will find you. And so it was just like Hive. Muslims, people who weren't Muslim, like everybody yeah. in between um, who had an opinion was like, I'm going to bless your notification feed like with oh my, my opinion gosh. about you with a graphic photo of a pig or something. I'm insane. just like, this is a lot. Um, That's a lot. But what did you tweet and how does it relate to what we're talking about? So I'm going to paraphrase here. My tweet was essentially that I find Hollywood's obsession with people who don't like being Muslim. And what I meant was like who are super conflicted about being Muslim Mm -hmm. to be Islamophobic. Mm -hmm. Like I find that the type of representation that in pop culture, specifically in like television, that Hollywood is like allowing for are kind of like the most secularized like muslim who is like only concerned about how to reconcile their love for white women with their muslimness mm-hmm. and it, it's like that that's a story that a lot of people have and a lot of people relate to and i think that story should be told but i don't know if you ever saw like chimamanda's ted talk about like the danger of a singular narrative yeah i did watch that so yeah. it's like it's like one of those things where i'm like i feel like if this is where people are going to learn about muslims and like a lot of the stories, you know, Hasan Minaj talking about how he wanted to be white growing up, you know, Aziz mm-hmm. Ansari having to grapple with the fact that he doesn't practice like Islam, but his parents do, you know, Kamel Nanjiani in, the, mm-hmm. in that scene in his movie where he goes downstairs and puts a timer up for five minutes on his phone and plays video games next to his prayer rug <laughs> because like yeah. he doesn't actually want to be Muslim. Right. And then, of course... You know, most recently Rami, which actually is a uh, departure from these because it's someone who is a Muslim, a practicing Muslim, and is trying to figure out a way to do it right, given all of their other interests, his other interests and Mm -hmm. his life and all of the normal things that a person would navigate. But it still is the story about like Muslim struggles to be Muslim. And I'm like... I struggle about a lot of things today. I struggle with waking up. I didn't know what I was going to have for breakfast. Like, I'm sure there's going to be like a fight on the train that I'm going to try not to get kicked in the face. But it's like today, my struggle was not necessarily like my Muslimness. And I feel like that's just a piece that we're not ever allowed to show. I don't Mm -hmm. know how you feel about that. No, I mean, I do think... What you're saying is true, definitely. And I, I it's weird because I don't often use the term like Islamophobic, but I do think that just Hollywood in general, and I think that the world we live in today, right, if you just think about the move towards like secularization of mm-hmm. just like everyone, where I do think that we're seeing that with Muslims now, but I don't think that it's exclusive to Muslims. Yeah. I think that we just live and, you know, I feel like I, I hate saying this because like people will think I'm crazy, but like it's a new world order where. <laughs> <laughs> But it is. It, yeah. it is. No, where I totally agree. Where you want to put the conflict on display. Mm-hmm. And just thinking about Rami, I, I've, I'm only on episode two of Rami, but I, I do really enjoy watching Rami. And I enjoy it for the fact that the same reason why I enjoyed watching like Aziz Ansari, Master of None, of just these two worlds being put you know, at opposing sides, where mm-hmm. it's like, this is the old world, and this is the new world. And if you can't get with the new world, then like, you know, <laughs> you are uh, ignorant, you are you can't get down with like how things go, then you're intolerant, you know, mm-hmm. so all of the adjectives that are negative are placed on 
for lack of better words, like quote unquote traditional values, yeah. right? Yeah. That are then couched in these are Islamic values. Yeah. <laughs> so like these are incorrect. And what mm-hmm. you should be on is like team new world order. And I think you see that like, yeah, like I was thinking it's not just Muslims, but even if you look at right, like Jewish Americans and like the films that come out about that as well, right? Mm-hmm. Where now it they don't want, you know, you to be a, a religious. Yeah. I, and I'm using these terms, but I don't really like them. But like, they don't want you to be yeah. a religious Jew. They want you to be a cultural Jew. So yeah. like, you can keep the name, but like throw away the outdated values. Yeah. And to your earlier point, though, about like, you know, the speech you gave and the realization that you had, for me, I'm like, Mike, I guess what I struggle with is like, are we working this stuff out for ourselves or Mm -hmm. like to what extent are we being used exactly like you said, like for some larger like secularization agenda? Because one of the things that I think about and I I sound like such an old black woman (laughs) right now, but like I'm just like if I was a teen and I, you know, my my post 9-11 self trying to figure out like who I am and like whatever. And the only representation I had of myself on these movies and and TV shows that Mm -hmm. are critically acclaimed are these people that are like, being Muslim is so hard. Like, I don't know what impact that would have had on me. Um, Right. And I don't know that that necessarily would have been positive. And I don't know if it would have just like made me more curious about departing from what I saw at the time as like, you know, my own norms and values or what mm-hmm. it would have made me just like more, more driven to practice my faith, like as I understood it. Mm-hmm. And so part of me, like, it's just this like icky feeling where it's like, I think we should definitely be working these things out. These are important questions. These are hilarious stories that like we should be telling, but mm-hmm. it's like when the people green lighting your show you know, editing your story, deciding how it's going to be marketed. Like when all of these people or not all, I shouldn't say, because I know a lot of Muslims are involved in these shows, but a lot of them and a lot of the gatekeepers like aren't Muslim. I just have to ask, like, to what extent are we being used and to what end? So that's like my main struggle is Mm -hmm. just like, how do we make sure we're telling the stories that we want to tell? And we're not just like, opening up in this like sliver because because you know when you said like the Jewish representation I actually like I, I love the show The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel I love it I don't know if you've seen <laughs> so that good. and this yes. is what I would consider to be an incredibly Jewish yeah. show that is yeah. not about Judaism yeah it is about a stand-up comedian it <laughs> yeah. is about divorce it yeah. is about a That's lot so of different great. things I love it <laughs> but they are super Jewish all of their holidays yeah. all of their jokes mm-hmm. all of their references mm-hmm. and I'm just like yes like this yes. this is the world that I want to live in where it's like none of their conflicts are about their Jewishness Um, it's just like accepted like as fact Mm -hmm. Um, and it sets the groundwork for a lot of the references like in the show but the show was like ultimately about something else and I recently watched this movie on Netflix um, called Ali's Wedding have you seen this oh no but I I saw saw the trailer I haven't seen it it's so funny it's so good but you know it's also about you know an Australian Muslim family but it's not necessarily about them struggling with being Muslim it's actually about the kid who lies about getting into med school and then he has to like yeah in the fly right. and the stakes just keep getting higher and higher and I got really stressed out while watching it but but it's really really good and so it's like when I think about the stories that I want to see alongside 
these like stories about like conf- conflicts, internal conflicts mm-hmm. that people are having about their faith and sort of them coming into their own sexuality and understanding of like what that means in the context of being Muslim. Like, I'm just like, can we also make space like for these other things? Totally. Um, because I want to make sure that like little Meccas who are having questions like have options about like what that looks like to explore that part of themselves. No, it's so true. And as you're talking, it also made me think about, you know, the episode that we did with Leah of just like talking mm-hmm. about like standing standards of beauty because I think right now it's like I'm just overwhelmed by Muslims in the media (laughs) because (laughs) it's like if it's not these shows right where you're battling internal conflict then it's also like okay we need you to be the best athlete you can be um we need you to be an Olympian we need your makeup (laughs) we need your makeup to like Mm. always be on fleek we need you to like run up in the house um and senate and just yes. like you know be bold and be out there and i'm like i want Damn. some raggedy muslims like <laughs> yes. i want some raggedy muslims <laughs> yes. that just wear their black jewel babs and no makeup and they're not charismatic but they're just like smart and good at their jobs right, right. <laughs> can we get that can we get that yeah, can we do that bring back raggedy muslims like <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Because I'm just like, I am not living my life that way. Although I saw that you were living your life that way on Instagram. With your like little yellow, like. (laughs) It's true. I have become perfect because of a a jacket that I bought. But that's another story for another time. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I definitely would like to see more of that. Okay, so we talked about a lot. Um, yes. <laughs> and this conversation. But I think it really leads to our interview with Bashir today from his senior researcher at the Pew, a senior researcher at Pew Research Center. <laughs> That's a, lot a lot of research. research. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think we have a, a sense of what he does. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely. But I think it's interesting to think about how, you know, Muslims are talking about Muslims, how Hollywood is talking about Muslims. Mm-hmm. And then just thinking about like, what does the research say about Muslims? And, you know, at the P Research Center, they often do surveys, they do demographics on religious communities. And so recently, they did a study on Muslims in the US. And this was back in 2017, and they covered a wide variety of topics, including like religious beliefs and practices, social values, and political preferences. So I think it'll be interesting to like look at what we're talking about in light of like what the research says and see, yeah. you know, at what points do they connect? At what points do they disconnect? Yeah, let's talk about it. Cool. Mecca, do you know it's trash? Uh, mass incarceration, yes. the polar vortex, yes. uh, it's institutional racism. Yes, definitely, yes. Okay, <laughs> so all of those things I definitely agree with. But what I specifically want to talk about what's trash is, do you remember last episode when we asked people to write reviews? You know, I have a vague recollection of this. It's ringing a bell. Yep. And, you know, so I went back and I looked to see, you know, like how many people listened to the episode. You know, we had like over a thousand people like listen to Mm -hmm. it. Do you know how many reviews we got? A hundred? Nope. Lower? How many? (laughs) We got six reviews. Oh, my God. (laughs) Six people. (laughs) <laughs> who really, you know, like listening to the show, 
who would like to see it gone, you know? And to clarify, you six people are not trash. We love we, you so we much. Love like, you. Do, thank thank you. you. Thank you for thank that. Thank you for being our view. <laughs> and you know, I I don't wanna do this, <laughs> but you know, this is show is sustained by our listeners. You know, and you're what keeps us going. We love to do the show mm-hmm. because of you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we just hope that you also really like listening to the show and that you can write us some reviews to help other people find the show. Yeah, we get tweets and emails and DMs all the time that are like, oh, my God, I love your show. It's changed my life. I tell all my friends about it. And it's like, OK, you want to know an easy way to support the show that is free 99. It costs zero dollars and zero cents. You open up your iTunes, your Apple podcast app. You rate it five stars. You don't even have to write a review. Yes. You literally just have to hit five stars That's and submit. It. You know what does cost about money? 10 seconds. What? For us to produce this show. Ooh, <laughs> costs money and yeah. time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we don't mean to guilt trip you, but you know. I, we, we do. Oh, we do. <laughs> Sorry. We do. <laughs> Sorry, we do. We do mean to guilt trip you because we do spend a lot of money and time to produce this show. So if you could today, please head to Apple Podcast, formerly known, aka as iTunes, and rate us on there. You know, leave a five-star review. If you have a little extra time, you can leave some commentary. That would also be greatly appreciated. And I hope by next episode that we can say that we have more than six more reviews. Yes, please prove to us how much you love us. (laughs) Tanya and Bashir, thank you so, 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 so much for joining us on the show today. We are very excited to have you. Waalaikum salam. Thanks for inviting me. So we know that you are someone who does a lot of research. Uh, You work at Pew. I've seen you on so many panels, like talking about our communities. And we have lots of questions specifically about that data and information. But before we get into that, I'm curious, why does all of this research matter? Like, (laughs) why are people studying like Muslim communities? and, And why did you get into this work in the first place? Why, why do I have this job? Why you, basically, yeah. explain away. <laughs> I mean, so there's a lot of answers to that. I think the easiest answer is that I feel like in order to understand, it's in order to understand a community, you've got to have good data. In order to make any sort of changes or improvements, you have to understand where you are. And so at Pew, we work really hard to provide the data so that Communities can understand where they are, and so the public can understand where various communities are. And then we make that data publicly available um, in our reports, um, in these sorts of interviews, in interviews with journalists, so that people can take advantage of that data in order to use it as they see fit. So we we tell this line where we don't do advocacy. We're sort of a nonpartisan, non-advocacy organization, so we don't get into what you should do with the data. But we feel strongly that whatever you're doing, having data is going to be helpful. You know, that's interesting. This is like the conspiracy theorist in me. But I often like to say the truth believer. (laughs) But especially when you're doing things like data and research on communities that have been, you know, traditionally marginalized in this country, just like the suspicion that comes Mm -hmm. around data. And so is that something that you think about or comes across in your work of just like, you know, 
is the purpose around collecting this data like or maybe people the subjects that you're like researching just thinking about that type of mindset going into this relationship of collecting data oh absolutely i think it's something that we have to be very aware of whenever we're you know studying a community especially if we're studying a smaller community a community that's historically been marginalized um, which a lot of our work does we have to be very aware of the fact that um, people are wary of giving out their data. They're wary of, well, what's going to happen with this? How do I know that I can trust you? And, you know, with good reason. Now, we do a lot of things to make sure that people know that they can trust us and they can trust the data that they're giving us and that they can trust the data that we're reporting back. When we're designing our questionnaires, a lot of our work has to do with um, surveys. So there's a questionnaire that people fill out. When we design our questionnaires, we're very careful um, to design them in a way that's sensitive to the community, um, that takes into account sort of how uh, the community sees itself and doesn't sort of come in with a completely sort of tone deaf way of exploring things. When we do that, we also make absolutely sure that the data is completely confidential. Our most recent survey of U.S. Muslims in 2017, right after the inauguration of President Trump. And so there was a lot of concern, like, well, are Muslims even going to talk to us? <laughs> I would have been like, nope. <laughs> we had to be very you know, attentive to the fact that there were concerns and people in the surveys reported those concerns, but we had to design the questionnaire in a way that we took the time to explain who we are, explain why we were collecting the data. We created a whole separate website where we could we explain more about ourselves, more about why we were collecting the data, that we really were doing this for research purposes, that we're a research organization, not a government organization. We don't take money from the government. We don't do contract work for the government or really for anyone else. And all of our data is publicly available and publicly accessible um, once we've gone through the exercise of making sure that it's anonymous. That's that's good to know. I think I always still have like a raised eyebrow, but <laughs> <laughs> your eyebrow is permanently raised. raised on many a topic. But I can respect the answer. <laughs> Getting into some of the meat of your work, it doesn't really look like being Muslim in the United States or across the world is getting easier anytime soon. And sometimes I worry about how this increasingly hostile context is going to impact the extent to which people uh, openly practice their faith. So can you tell us about what does the Muslim community look like in terms of its faith practice and, and practicing it openly? I know there are some traditional markers in terms of dress, in terms of, you know, fasting and prayer, et cetera. But what does the data tell us about, like, how comfortable our community is, like, openly practicing at this time? I think one easy way to look at this is to see um, just the number of people who are identifying as Muslim. And that that continues to grow. Um, we've been doing this research for a little over 10 years, and we've seen that the number of people who are identifying as Muslim has been growing over that entire period. Um, but it is also the case, as you alluded to, that the number of Muslims who say that they're experiencing discrimination has also been growing. You know, there is this tension. Uh, despite all of that, we do see relatively high rates of practice across a variety of measures. You know, if you talk about um, frequency of prayer, if you talk about attending religious services, um, by a variety of these measures, Muslims are not, we're, we're not seeing drop-offs on any of those things. We're not seeing, oh, well, it used to be that, you know, Muslims are telling us they were praying regularly and now that's not the case. 
Um, in fact, if you look at age differences, mm. for example, in, in much of the public, and if you're looking at, um, for example, uh, Christians, you see that uh, younger people tend to be less religious. They're less likely to say that they attend religious services. They're less likely to even affiliate with a religion. And we don't see that among the Muslim community. Actually, younger Muslims are about as religious, about as likely to say that they pray, to say that they uh, are going to the mosque. This as is older so Muslims. fascinating because the you know the trend now, right, is about like unmask and like all the like aunties and uncles being like, "Where are the young people?" and the young people being like, "Yeah, you're like mosque and community is boring. Like I'm good." So <laughs> it's fascinating <laughs> to hear like you say the data that like younger Muslims are you know still religious than their counterparts and they do have value towards like the mosque like who are these young people <laughs> <laughs> well i mean um i think part of part of what's what's worth thinking about is you can separate saying for example religion's important in your life and saying that you think that the mosque is the center of your spiritual journey mm -hmm. right um and so the fact that two-thirds of Muslims say that uh, religion is very important in their lives, and that holds true whether you're looking at younger Muslims or older Muslims. That's not the same as saying that two-thirds of Muslims say that the mosque is the center of their spiritual life. I, I also think even attending religious services, you know, sometimes people attend religious services because they feel that this is an important duty or an obligation, et cetera, not because they think this is the most engaging thing right. they've ever heard. Definitely. Um, it's just, okay, I'm going to, you know, duck out, go to prayer, you know, leave from work, take an extra long lunch break, go to prayer, come back to work. Was this a, a rousing chutzpah that's going to redefine you for the next week? Maybe not. But that doesn't mean that people aren't still going. So we don't see those gaps um, among Muslims, whereas we do for other for some other groups. So if you look at, say, mainline Protestants, for example, there's a 10-point gap between, say, millennials and older folks in the share that say religion is important in their life. And there's a six-point gap in the share that say they attend religious services. But for Muslims, we don't see gaps on either of those. That, so thinking about this generational gap, again, about how you're saying, you know, just because the mosque isn't the center doesn't mean that you're not going to go. So when you're doing the data and research, what kind of distinct distinctions do you see happening generationally, maybe in the way that millennials are interpreting Islam differently um, or they're practicing differently than the previous generation? Is that something that you're able to determine looking at the data and the research? We have a little bit of insight with that, but honestly, not a huge amount into the, the ways that they're they're practicing differently. You know, we have a, we have a couple of questions that that touch on that. We do ask specifically about whether you think traditional understandings of Islam need to be reinterpreted in light of sort of recent mm -hmm. sort of current events or not. Um, so we have some things like that that can give us a little bit of insight, but the the catch is that we don't have a whole lot of comparison. In terms of like, well, well, what would you expect for millennials from other religious groups to, to, mm. to see some of these things? On that last point that you mentioned about the traditional understandings and whether or not they need to be revised, like what is the Muslim community saying about that? Well, um, the actual question that we ask is, do you think traditional understandings of Islam need to be reinterpreted to address today's issues? 
or traditional understandings of Islam are all that we need to address today's issue. So that's the actual sort okay. of wording of the question that we ask. Mm. And what we see is, regardless of age, the the most common response is that traditional understandings of Islam mm. are reinterpreted. But it's it's not a over it's not like a ninety twenty or ninety ten kind of split. A bit more than half of Muslims say that traditional understandings of Islam need to be reinterpreted, and about four in ten, thirty eight percent say traditional understandings of Islam are all that we need. That's like a very interesting way to to like word that question, right? Of just thinking mm-hmm. about if the respondents have like a, a common definition about what's meant between like traditional. Yeah, no, that's that's fair, and and the fact is, this is just the sort of question that it is phenomenally hard mm. to get a wording for it that works for everyone. That everyone feels like, yes, this is absolutely getting it exactly what we're interested in. For something like this, we'll work with um, outside experts, um, theologians, religious scholars, um, to really think through how can we ask a question that. If you're A, a lay Muslim, but B, not necessarily even mm. very engaged, it's a question that, that's sort of comfortable and makes sense to you. Um, you know, we could have put in all sorts of fic, <laughs> you know, ficky yeah. points, but then um, lots of folks yeah. would be like, what oh, are you even talking about? For sure. Like, you know, <laughs> no, um, real. So, so we don't want to do that. But then on the other hand, you don't want to be in a situation where you're like, okay, we've got this data and you know, right. it doesn't mean anything. Um, so this was sort of the balancing, the sort of forced choice. Uh, we felt like got at kind of the meat of the issue in a way that was meaningful across a wide spectrum of folks. Yeah. I feel like every Friday prayers, every like convention, every just sort of like elder that is like shaking their head at like the young people is talking about like secularization and talking about the ummah and talking about like if we're not careful, we're going to end up like some of these other communities. (laughs) And so um, I'm wondering, you know, you've mentioned a couple of ways in which Muslims, uh, the Muslim community is looks a little different than other faith communities and in terms of like um, seeing our religious doctrine as like very important um, as not purely a cultural practice, but as like a spiritual practice. But do you think Muslim communities will see the increased secularization that other faiths are currently experiencing? Like, is that something that's maybe further on down the line from us? So it's hard to, it's hard to know the answer um, you know, data is really bad at predicting the future. Um, I can tell you what's happening now. I can tell you something about what's happened in the past. But if, but you know, what happens in the future really has a lot more to do with sort of what people do going forward and like the decisions people haven't made yet. But you know, one of the things we do see with other communities that I think is really interesting, and that we haven't seen as much among Muslims, is a push toward your sort of uh, religion or religious identity as sort of a cultural marker rather than as a theological marker. Um, So what do I mean by that? If we're talking about Judaism, about half of the people who say that Judaism is their religion say that being Jewish is mainly a matter of ancestry or culture. Um, When we ask, is it ancestry, is it culture or religion? About half say it's mainly ancestry or culture. And the same thing holds for Catholicism. You know, about half of the people who say that their religion is Catholicism say that being Catholic is mainly a matter of ancestry or culture. So 
that's a pattern that we see in the broader American public and other religious groups, this sort of religion as ancestry and culture rather than religion as sort of theology or religious identity as mm-hmm. ancestry or culture as opposed to theology. Within the Jewish community in particular, this, this phenomenon is pretty well known and right. sort of well under, you know, people know that this is a thing, you know, that people can be sort of culturally Jewish or, you know, of Jewish ancestry. Um, you know, so much so that when we did our, our report of uh, U.S. Jews a few years back, some of the analysis we did on the uh, suggestion of our advisors included people who said their religion is Judaism and people who said that they have no religion but consider themselves Jewish aside from hmm. We included both of those folks in a lot of our analyses because people are like, no, if you're going to talk about the Jewish community, you have to include both of these groups. What are the implications? Like if this trend continues of, you know, religion being seen more as a cultural thing, right? If you see this continue, does that put you like out of a job? (laughs) If no one's one's religious anymore? (laughs) I doubt it. Um, I think I'll have a job for a good long time. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, uh, so look, there's been a lot. Secularization is not a new thing. Um, there's been an academic interest analysis study of secularization going back yeah. decades. We can thank France. Uh, and there's been this, <laughs> right, right. And there's been this thing, and there's been sort of questions about what counts as secularization. There's this, you know, what some scholars call sort of internal secularization, or, uh, you know, I still identify, but I, you know, whatever I do, I call that, you know, my religion. And then there's sort of just disaffiliation. So there's a lot of different ways in which people can become secular. And for, you know, decades, some people have been like, no, but religion just going to completely disappear. And then it's going to be, you know, it's not going to matter anymore because nobody's going to be religious and it hasn't happened yet. And so, you know, like I said, I don't, I don't want to get into the business of predicting the future, but we'd have to see some pretty substantial changes in the overall trajectories of what, you know, of, of birth rates, of conversion rates, of immigration rates before we saw and overall, like, oh, you know, nobody's identifying with these religions right. anymore. Well, I mean, your research sounds really good for the Ummah. <laughs> and it's like, you, know, you can find hope. <laughs> People are like, the Ummah is growing every day. That's just like the new talking point. <laughs> so this question's a, a little bit different and a little bit fun. Curious to hear what you have to say. But if you received a $10 million grant, and we all know how much research and like just academic people love grants <laughs> to conduct research on any unimportant random topic of your choice, what would you study and why? Does it have to be an unimportant random yes, topic? Yes, yes, right. it absolutely has <laughs> it, to be. It can be important to you. <laughs> but it has to be unimportant to everyone else. <laughs> huh. Uh, ice cream flavors? How's that okay. work? <laughs> I feel like that would be that would be a really you know that'd be a good topic for me to study. I'd have to buy a lot of ice cream and you know test it, <laughs> sample sample the various flavors and the various you know ways okay. of making I ice feel cream. Like you would still have so much grant money left over. <laughs> <laughs> like I could give you, I could give you that grant. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I can the give you the ice cream grant. I think that's in the budget. <laughs> well, maybe I can maybe I can roll it into a travel, like you know, ice cream that's around true. the world. Now, now we're talking bigger. Okay. I like it. <laughs> Well, as we wrap up here, anything else you want to share with our listeners? I know there's a lot of good research out there um, for folks who are interested in continuing to learn about these topics. Um, is there anything else you want to share? Well, like you said, I think there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, good research out there. Um, you know, we at Pew are doing a lot of stuff and try to work to make all this stuff publicly available. And I can send you guys some additional, you know, some links to some of these things that. Um, if people want to follow up on, um, because the report that all the reports I've been pulling from are already sort of publicly accessible. Um, I just think it's really one of the things that w- whenever I talk about these, these patterns, um, one of the things that I try to highlight is the fact that you can't really take the data and say, okay, everybody does this or everybody does this. One of the, the, things that it can tell you is it it can tell you these trends. Well, people are, you know, this group is more likely to do this, or this group is more likely to do that. Um, But turning that into a sort of like, okay, so now I know the next time I see, you know, a young Muslim, I know that they're going to be really religious because, you know, Bashir said in that interview that (laughs) young Muslims are just as religious as older Muslims or something like that. Um, You laugh, but sometimes people take this data and really kind of take it even further. I think there's a lot you can do, but I think there are also important limitations. Well, lastly, where can people find you and your work? You just mentioned that there are more links that you can read up on about this data. So where can people find you and more about your work? So I'm on Twitter at uh, B-M-O-H-A-M and the main body of data that we've done, most recent body of data that we've done on Islam and Muslims is pewresearch.org slash survey of Muslims. So those would probably be the two easiest ways. You know, if, if you want to send me a message on Twitter, I usually kind of keep an eye on that and send out things. Um, and if you want to just read more deeply into the data, you can go to the website. I have to say that Pew link sounds so sweet. Yes, I was thinking the same thing. I literally had the same thought. I was like, so we're back to question one. Why am I not surprised? No, it's great. Thank you so much for coming on. No problem. Thank you. Identity Politics is a podcast created by me, Ikhlas Salim. This episode was produced by Khaslim and Mika Ali. And music is by Ibrahim Azam. Thanks for listening. Till next time. <laughs>